Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cicero. Boy, I'm uh, thrilled to death to have this guy on a podcast actually talking writing. And uh, not only is he incredibly experienced, but Wikipedia uh, once said of him under his personal life section, he is Jewish. That was the sentence. That's the only thing they could come up with for your personal life. Welcome, Alex Sokin. Alec, how are you? Oh, I'm well. Boy, that says it all. The good people at Wikipedia are really doing their research. I think I think that sums me up. Why 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 over egg that pudding? Right. right. You know, brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody came by and said, Well, that just seems a little perfunctory. <laughs> <laughs> I know that could have given me a little more. Why did I we thought it do was going to be international playboy? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's if any uh, section, if not line, begged for punch up. I would think that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> they probably figured no, I'd do it if being a Jewish writer. Uh, so you're so well known for Family Guy, for the Cleveland Show, for the TED movies. But let's back it up a notch and start. Uh, somewhere around the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. How'd you land that? Well, uh, boy, so we're going back into the last millennium. Uh, this oh, yeah. Was, uh, I'm a struggling, struggling stand-up comedian in New York City, as I'm sure you have experienced and, and most stand-ups have experienced. Um, so as my friend Goldie likes to put it, we started stand-up the day after the stand-up boom ended. <laughs> and so you could literally still hear the cheers from what the was that man i know let's start <laughs> next up alex Alkin. so uh i'm doing stand-up in new york and uh but i'm i i realized early on in my stand-up career that i was a better writer than stand-up my uh my material was decent but my on-stage persona was terrible like i didn't put any this was sort of the janine garofalo era so there was kind of a premium <laughs> on like not caring so i think i that that jibed nicely with my personality already because i'm pretty lazy so uh, uh but then then you realize that you know you need to have to be a successful comedian you need to have some kind of a persona up there some kind of an energy which i just did not have so i start looking for writing jobs and um Obviously, being in New York, the the um, you know the top of the mountain there was Letterman and Conan and those things, um, but I couldn't get any traction there. And as it happened, uh, I had been an intern at Saturday Night Live and a writer's assistant there a, a couple of years before then. And one of the writers I knew on staff, his name is Ross Abrash, and he was. Uh, plucked away from Saturday Night Live to go and help Craig Kilborn launch his show, which was going to be starting in the spring of, of 99. So they were looking for writers. And um, he said, why don't you submit your a uh, packet of stuff, which as you well know, is sort of like writing, you know, 20 or 30 jokes about that day's uh, news with the help usually of USA Today. Uh, sure. So I did that. I, I wrote all those jokes, put together some sketch packets. And I was familiar with Craig from uh, The Daily Show and uh, from ESPN. 
because we're both, you know, you, you're a sports fan as well. So we know him. And I, I sent my packet in and uh, they, they hired me. I was a, you know, it was a dream come true. I was thrilled. Of course, I heard years later the, uh, what was going on on the other side of that fax, which dates it. Uh, so the, apparently I faxed in my packet and uh, there were a couple of writers already there who were working on the show. And they looked at the packet and they were very, uh, you know, against it. No, no, no. These aren't jokes was the quote that I heard. These aren't jokes. And then luckily, thank God, Craig looked at the packet and said, hire this guy. So I made it out there. Wow. That's incredible that a host of a fledgling show actually sees the material or has the presence of mind to look and just understands tonally this guy is so in the wheelhouse that we got to get him in but the factory workers look at it and go doesn't look ready gotta go not a joke yep (laughs) yep yep Uh, it's it's totally true and and i think that um the my, those guys were not sports fans let's put it that way and right. i am a sports fan i know you are as well and right. so I, I i know some of the jokes i had in there you know not not half of them but maybe five had something to do with sports and i think that he saw that and saw kind of a kindred spirit and and here's somebody who might be able to talk to me on on my level about things so that was it right. was just all fortunate how that all worked out plus as he's launching a new endeavor the notion that someone is around who can write this kind of stuff and i may lean on some sports jokes as i yeah. shoehorn into the new gig yes becomes important that was so that is literally uh the launching pad then you're at kilbourne now you got it's does did it start in new york or did it start out here did you have to move out here i did so i was one of those you know so many people uh move out to la with a suitcase and a dream and then get (laughs) sort of kicked out and have to go home sadly but i was one of the fortunate ones to move out to la with a job uh, you know, for a job. Um, so I had the best experience of moving to LA, which was, you know, there wasn't really that that ridiculous struggle and, and working at coffee shops or any of that kind of stuff. So I went just went day one, uh, literally right to the office and started working. So you could say, while you're looking for an apartment, yeah, I can afford this. This is a nice one. I'll take this. You didn't and, and, and I did that. I did that because I <laughs> I so I booked myself into a motel that was right across you might even know this. It right across the street from Television City on Beverly Boulevard. Oh yeah, mo- one of the yeah, they have the classic uh, sort of 50/60s graphic like yes. the satellite motel yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's called the Roadway. But, um, but, uh, so it was right because proximity is always my, my friend and I've, and, and living, I've lived in LA now for almost a quarter century and, and, and for almost 20 of those years, I could walk to work. 
which is insane. And, and you yeah. hate walking. So, it, <laughs> I so know, proximity I really is important. <laughs> real, real proximity. And, uh, so, and you'll, you'll laugh at where I got my, uh, my first apartment. So I'm in this, uh, motel for the first week, I think that I'm out there and I'm looking out the window of the motel and, and there's television city. And then as I cast my gaze slightly to the left, there's the Erwan store with apartments on top of it. And I see a, like a four lease sign. I'm like, I'll go look there. And I moved there. I lived there for like two years. That's even closer. It was, it was on the same block. I didn't have to cross yeah. any streets, <laughs> which is that's deadly crossing yeah. the street in Los Angeles. And it you could, inherently knew that. I know that. Yes. <laughs> wow. So the, again, before we launch into some of the meteor stuff, I love. I love all kinds of writers' rooms, and Kilborns had to be had to be a little bit nutty because you're starting essentially CBS's version of Conan is what yes. they're thinking. Mm-hmm. A twelve thirty show, glib, funny, push the boundaries, right? And you've got a host who who sort of used, um, you know. His elitism as a sort of cloak to hide, you know, his genuine overconfidence. It, it was, yeah. it was kind of a, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was like hiding in plain sight kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. yet he could pull that off. He really could pull that off. Yes, that is not a coat anybody can wear. Mar gets away with a level of arrogance just because it's so organically who it is. Yes. But Craig Kilborn kind of said, geez, I wonder where the real boundary of this is. Let's push it. Yes. And he just kept pushing it. I used to love that thing he did where he would walk over to the window with his back half to the crowd and just muse in his mind and we would hear his his just essentially horrid thoughts about humanity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He would look up at the moon that was in the uh you know, in the background fake set there and just kind of have a little conversation with himself about how wonderful he was and how fortunate all the viewers were to be <laughs> hanging out with him for this hour. It was great. I mean, and and Craig did a thing that I laugh more and more at it the farther away I get from it, where he announced himself at the beginning of the show, yes. which I just, I don't know that I fully appreciated it at the time, how funny of an idea that is. Yeah. And um, such a subtle tip to the notion that I, I do kind of know that this is a joke on myself even though i will never admit it on yes. the show <laughs> yeah yeah and he used to do this hilarious thing because he was in a as you can imagine you know being i would say fourth of four in a pecking order of of late night shows at that time because you had letterman and leno kind of going head to head and then you had conan who had been doing great for almost five years at that point mm-hmm. and then kilborn was the new kid on the block and so our guests used to just be terrible you know, it was such a struggle to get guests. And there was a constant war that Craig was Craig was always annoyed at the segment producers and the talent bookers who were giving him these guests. And so he used to do this thing when he was announcing himself where 
if there was someone, you know, usually the second guest who just seemed like, what the fuck is this? Like, I'll, I'll never forget one time we had um, long ball golf driving champion Jeremy Zubak. And so <laughs> Kilborn would do this thing when he was announcing, which I laughed at so hard, where it was his code to the segment producers saying, screw you, where he'd say, he'd say, oh, tonight we've got, you know, Roma Downey. And then, oh, we got him. Jeremy Zubak, you know, you just say we got him in front of it. Like, how did we get this guest? It's impossible, but somehow we got him. <laughs> oh, that is so great. Yeah. So how big's the room? How many guys are pounding no. away trying to make show business? Yeah. Oh, no, it's funny when you were talking about it earlier, I was thinking back on it. Uh, because now in Family Guy, our room is huge. So in, at at Kilborn, the room was maybe seven seven writers and so here's the thing for a daily a nightly show that's not a that's not a lot and so there there are seven two of them are exclusively monologue writers as as many late night shows do you know there's sort of a segregation there and then there were two of them who craig hated and so it was like it, it it the monologue guys would go off and they'd be doing their thing and then craig would never listen to these other two guys who he couldn't stand so then it's like there are three of us basically tasked with coming up with the bulk of the comedy for the show. And to Craig's credit, he was like a, he was very, uh, very much like a, had like childlike enthusiasm for the stuff that we would do. Like he would get excited legitimately about some of the bits that we were planning to do. And we would get, you know, you get called into his office and you're sitting there with him for an hour trying to work something out. And he's typing it, you know, on his computer, hunt and peck style, you know, when when he's getting excited about something with his tongue between his lips, like uh, concentrating on typing. I can always picture that. But uh, he he was, you know, he was ready to go. He was ready to roll with, uh, you know, once he he sort of latched on to somebody's comedy, he he knew how to ride it. Who are the three? There is a. uh... A yep. um um you know a, a sort of a, a military mentality a, a trench warfare mentality sometimes in those situations where you have to begin to divvy up a- and the divvying was sort of forced on you these two guys they're off in a room just writing monologue yes the other two guys put them on kitchen duty there they, yeah. they got they got a, you know so yeah. okay it's just the three of us we have to write a network show yeah five nights a week yep who yep. are the so other that, guys so the other guy was uh, w- uh someone who ultimately became my writing partner a gentleman named wellesley wild which is the waspiest you know it doesn't say right. he's a jew, a jew on his wikipedia page <laughs> no, it no. better not so the wellesley wild and and another very non-jew it named... distinctly says not a jew i think yes, his... right i don't know why they have to go out of their way to say that yeah they, but... they seem hung up on that at wiki yeah a little hostile um but the other the other guy uh his name uh, also very not jewish ted jessup um and so the three of us uh had a lot of laughs putting stuff oh together God. for craig yeah they're big be- there uh develops a mentality in rooms like that where there is funny for the job and then there's absurdist funny to sort of stay alive in the room yes did you guys 
what were the manifestations of that? Because they can yeah. get weird sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you will. Those it's survival things. Yes, yeah. That that is definitely the case. And the, and the interesting thing about uh, working on uh, the Late Late Show with Craig was that a lot of the absurdist and survival and sort of comedy just for the room, just to keep us sane or insane, was done in front of Craig. And the the writers were rarely kind of as a group in a room like you picture on a, on most sitcoms. So we would have a morning meeting where for an hour we would watch uh, the CBS news feeds from the night before seeing their top stories and saying like, okay, what, you know, what can we, is there anything we can do with any of this? And then the monologue writers would be gone the uh the two sort of uh qu- sequestered quarantine writers would be off wherever the rest of us would go into Craig's office and that's where the absurd stuff would start to come out and the funny thing is and to Craig's credit he allowed all that stuff to go on he was never like hey let's focus you know come on that's not comedy for the show cuz i think that he sensed that it was part of a process where you start making absurd jokes about something that you could never do on TV. And then somehow it trickles down into something that, Oh, maybe we can do this version of it, or it leads us to another uh, topic that is more uh, ready for air. That's really smart. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, I think both of us can assure uh, the listeners that that, does not happen often where the head honcho is not only in the room but willing to listen to you know ted do that thing with your lip that makes us laugh you know (laughs) that kind of stuff just to loosen it up exactly right most hosts will just go i have shit to do i can't but to know is that what gary was like (laughs) (laughs) gary Gary had his own ability to exist in a room. Uh, Gary Shandling, we're yeah. talking about, based on the fact that he had done it from the lowest rung. Yeah. So he knew what was going on, and he was he was smart enough to know. Don't go in between 10.30 and noon. They're just going to be busting each other's chops. All right. Going about 12.15, we'll get yeah. something done. He knew. He just knew, you know. He knew the rhythms of the room. Yeah. Yeah. And he he was uh, also uh, maybe the only guy who was, uh, the only person I worked for who was so giving that even bad pitches that other writers knew were not particularly good pitches. He would always say, good pitch, interesting idea, something like that. Yeah. His first impulse was always uh, reinforce and courage, That's good. even though I may not use it, even though I probably won't use it. Uh, his belief, I think, being, if nothing else, that's a direction we don't want to go, and it really put a spotlight on it. So now we know... He just he just wiped out twenty five percent of our possibilities. That's valuable, right? Uh, which yep. is sort of interesting, you know, an yeah. interesting approach. Yeah. So you somehow transitioned from this crazy. What's the craziest thing you wrote for Craig that he did? 
Um, the craziest thing that I wrote. Well, uh, one crazy thing was that <laughs> this, I can't believe that this happened for so long was for like maybe the first year of the show. So we're talking from like all of 99 into 2000. Um, nobody in any department said anything about the fact that we were just using songs and music <laughs> and, and nobody, nobody like s- stepped forward and said, Oh guys, you know, you have to pay like 50 grand to use sort of teach your children by CSN. And like, no, it happened. For, it was almost like a, like, and I, it wasn't like we felt like, Oh, we're getting away with this. We just didn't know. And we were writing bits that were I, myself and this guy, Ted Jessup, we both play guitar like campfire style and we did this like two man singing thing on the show fairly often and we we would do some song with made up lyrics but it was always too like a famous song like a beatles song or a, you know like a, just all the biggest groups you could ever think of led zeppelin you know and uh then getting I'm, laughs and thinking to yourself, yeah. why has no other talk show ever done this? <laughs> why don't they do this? It's so easy <laughs> to sing, you know, sort of uh, uh, Albert Gore to yesterday. And, oh, and, and so they, then somehow after like a year, somebody, you know what it was? It was it, even the show's theme song was play that funky music white boy when when Craig would come out on stage and we were just using the song. And then finally, like somebody from, I believe that band is Wild Cherry. Yes. Somebody from that band or their lawyers or something finally saw it a year later. And it's like, guys, you can't do that. You owe us an insane amount of money. So that the, we had to eliminate, you know, doing all the songs. And actually what they did was they had the lead guy of wild cherry come in and record like a new version of that song. Like apparently if you do a new recording of it, it's, you know, it's all fair. Um, But yeah, so it was oddly, you know, wild cherries legal team who brought down our empire of music. And yet gave you such a great tip for the future. Yeah. What a wonderful ace in the hole to have in your back pocket when you're producing yeah. Anytime in the future and be able to say, eh, eh, hang on, get <laughs> yeah. the guy in, we'll record a new version. And then we don't yeah. owe anybody anything. Yes. Uh, yeah. It would just pay him, you know, scale. And then that's it. Well, wow. when did you leave the show? Uh, I left the show in 2002 uh, or maybe 2001, uh, towards the end of 2001. And uh, I think September 10th, I had something to do the next day. And then uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, I uh, I left and I went into the sitcom world. And uh, where'd you go? I was hired um, on a show called The Pits, which was briefly on Fox, you know, maybe aired six episodes. Um, what but- was the hook of that? Because that was back in an era when Fox was really like big hook left of center, something that's not necessarily on the other networks. Yep. And it changed television. Yep. They and- did. They, they were trying. So the, the pits was a family with the worst luck ever. <laughs> and it was, it's it not was a bad big, hook. <laughs> right. 
It, it and and the even in the opening theme song, like the wide shot of the house had a boulder teetering on the cliff above it, <laughs> and uh, it was um it sh- it it should have been an animated show because that's how crazy it was, but it was live action and it starred wow. uh, that actor Dylan Baker, um, who was in Happiness, very creepy in that. And uh, Lizzie Kaplan, a very young Lizzie Kaplan, who's gone on to do many, many things. Um, A really good cast. Amazing writer's room. So it was run by Mike and Julie Scully. And, you know, and Mike is the best. I mean, they're both so awesome. And Mike is, you know, Simpsons and and just relentlessly funny. And the room was filled with a good man. Good person. Yeah. Good, good Good man. They were both like, like. Both awesome. You never people. felt like, oh my god, no, I gotta get out of this job. No, even, even even when the job part of it was challenging and difficult. Exactly. So so I had a fantastic room. fantastic experience in that room, and in that room were uh, Gamble and Pross, uh, oh Tom Gamble and Max Pross, and uh, Mike's brother Brian, also very funny. Uh, Ian Maxstone Graham. So it had like the Simpsons. Seinfeld people in this room and it was my first sitcom job so I'm like this is fantastic and the room as you described with Gary Chandling being very sort of kind and when it came to pitching Mike was the same way ran his room the same way if you were pitching something to try and help he wasn't going to sit there and go no not that what are you crazy like it was a, a an incredibly kind room an incredibly funny room so we had a great time there and one of the people who was consulting, a consulting producer on the show, so he would only be in once a week, was Seth MacFarlane. And that's how I met him um, on that show. And we are both, we're the same age. So we became friendly uh, beyond the show. You know, we started hanging out outside of the show. And that's how I got brought on Family Guy. And what was he doing at the time? Well, that was in one of those gaps where Family Guy had been canceled. So Family Guy premiered in 1999, if you can believe it. And then it was canceled after, I think, two or three seasons. Uh, and so this was in that gap where he was still on an overall deal with 20th and Fox. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to put him on to work somewhere. So that's how right. he ended up on the pits. And... uh and then when we became friendly, he I remember we were at karaoke and we were outside and he said, uh, hey, they're talking about bringing a family guy back. If they did that, would you want to come and be on the show? And I was thinking to myself, there's this guy's delusional, this poor sap like this is never going to happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, because it just didn't it just never happened. And uh, so I'm nodding and thinking I'm being nice to him. Like, yes, Seth, of course, I will. When they bring back Family Guy, I will absolutely be there. And it was like, uh, you know, Lieutenant Dan promising to be Forrest Gump's first mate. Yeah, like if you're a shrimp boat captain, I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's that's just legendary. Legendary. 